We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Pilato. Tonight we're here to talk corners with you. It's not going to be the one-all, be-all, end-all corners for us. It's a big position for the Giants. We know that. So we're going to, as it gets closer to the draft, do a cornerback preview, where not only are we going to talk more extensively about each of these cornerbacks, go into the full scattering reports Nick have Nick's has on them on that show. Some of what I've seen on film as well. We're going to do rankings, sleepers, breakouts, busts, things like that. Tonight is going to be more hyper-focused on the cornerbacks that we would want the Giants to take in round one. Corners who will be, if they come out of day one, it's over. Thursday night's done. Go to sleep. We're okay with them taking these corners in round one. We don't feel like it's a reach. And so we're not going to do full scan reports. We're going to do basically like not bullet points. We're going to go through somewhat faster on these guys. But we these are all players who if they took them at 25 or if they traded up maybe or traded back, we'd be okay with it. So with that said, Nick, I want to hit the ground running here. I want to talk about the player who I believe is your cornerback one, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. And he's definitely my cornerback one. And that's Devin Witherspoon, the cornerback out of Illinois. This is a player who I don't love the idea of trading up for in at all ever in my life. I'm not a trade up guy. I just don't love it. But if I some something happened, the Giants said Joe Shane said I just freaking love this guy, and he traded up for him. I'd still come away going to sleep Thursday night after the draft, Nick, and like you know what? I'm really happy the Giants now have Devin Witherspoon on on their team. I would feel the same way. I do not want to trade up though because I think that would require the Giants to part ways with their next year's first round pick. And that's just not something that I will ever entertain. But Witherspoon is my cornerback too, behind Gonzalez, who is just a longer, younger player. I think probably a smoother overall athlete from everything that I've seen. Witherspoon is close though, because I feel like Witherspoon in coverage is just, it's so sticky in man coverage. He's a perfect fit for what Wink Martindale wants to do. He's not the longest guy. I believe he's a little bit older. I think he'll be, 23 around the start of the season. I'm not hundred percent sure where his birthday is, but that's, that's neither here nor there. It's just because Gonzalez is a 20 year old. Like that's a young kid right there. Another thing I love about Witherspoon though, is just how physical he is. I wish Gonzalez had that type of physical profile. Like Witherspoon acts like he's a freaking safety. He has a Jabril peppers in him. Only he can cover. So like, it's this really awesome blend of just talent that Devin Witherspoon possesses. And I think he's probably going to be a top 10 pick in this draft class though. So it's way out of the picture for the giants at 25. 
Yeah, it's likely out of the picture, but we wanted to go over all the corners who are potentially on the Giants' radar in the sense that guys we'd like if they took. And I actually went into this process, Nick, fully expecting Christian Gonzalez to be my cornerback one because I was just like, a 181-pound corner in Devin Witherspoon at 5'11". There's no possible way I'm going to have him ranked ahead of Christian Gonzalez, who was lab-built at the corner position with bigger hands, longer arms, 6'1 one 197, 4'3", 40-yard dash versus Witherspoon's 4'4", He's definitely a smoother player in the vertical game. But as I actually watched these guys, dude, I actually felt like Witherspoon was a considerably better corner than Christian Gonzalez. I think out of all these corners in this class, Witherspoon was by far and away the stickiest in coverage. The only one I watch, and I don't have as good eye as you do for this or as the guys who are professionals for this. I just go by what I see and what I've learned through the years watching NFL film and corners on the Giants, things of that nature, things you've taught me, things other people have taught me watching people who evaluate the game. But as far as just sticking in coverage, hip to hip, I feel like Witherspoon and actually DJ Turner out of Michigan were the two that really stood out to me in that regard. Um, and part of what I think I, part of why I might be biased in thinking that Nick is because of the different style of play that Witherspoon and Gonzalez have. Um, Gonzalez plays a lot more off coverage, and Witherspoon yeah. is, is is definitely a better fit, I think, for the system. And I just feel like something with Gonzalez's game was not as good as I thought it was going to be as advertised. I felt like he gave up more catches than I thought he would. And I didn't think he was as physical as I wanted to be, not only just at the catch point, but just in run support and then screaming downhill. He has all the tools, Gonzalez. And like I said, he's built out of a lab. I mean, insane. His Ross score was almost fully 10. Jumped out the gym with 41 and a half inch vert, 11 inch broad, insane 10 yard split, insane 20 yard split, 438, 61 and a half. Like this is a lab built corner, Christian Gonzalez. It's just like when I actually watched the two, I felt like Witherspoon was a better player. But getting to Gonzalez, he's also a player who I'd love the Giants to take yeah. come out of day one for. It's another example of, like you said, a player who they probably have to give up way too much draft capital to ever get. In our mock draft we did previously, we had them going back-to-back -back at number six and number seven overall, Witherspoon and Gonzalez. So clearly that shows you it's an idea that's probably unlikely these guys will be in the range. But I do think there is some merit to uh, Gonzalez potentially – projecting as a better player than Witherspoon because of the size, because of the length, because of all those traits that we talked about from an athletic standpoint. As far as what they did last year, Witherspoon was a 92.5 coverage grade according to football focus, 81.4 for Gonzalez. Run defense grade was higher for Witherspoon. Tackling grade was actually higher for Gonzalez. Man coverage grade, 89.7 for Witherspoon. Gonzalez, 64.4. But like we said, there's a lot of zone. There's a lot of off coverage in Gonzalez's tape. And zone coverage is actually also better for Witherspoon. These are just PFF grades, though. Remember, yeah. DeAndre Baker was one of the highest-graded corners, like, ever in the PFF era. And, like, SEC was dominating SEC from a grade standpoint. So how much do we want to put into PFF grades? I don't know. But I just thought I'd throw in that um, that context as well. Just off the eye test, and I haven't done an evaluation on Christian Gonzalez, but I've watched a decent amount of his tape. To me, it's just the smooth nature of Christian Gonzalez that puts him ahead of Witherspoon. And I agree, man. He doesn't have that same dog that Witherspoon possesses. And that's something that irritates me a little bit. One thing I will say about the dog that Witherspoon possesses, it's a little bit too aggressive sometimes. Yes. I feel like he's going to take some penalties. He's going to grab. He's going to hold. He was penalized 11 times over the last two seasons, which is better than Cam Smith's 10 times in this one season. We'll get into Cam Smith a little bit later. But I would be pleased, say, if the Giants sucked this last year, like they have so much in recent memory. I would be pleased, Dan, if the Giants came away with a top 10 pick with either of these two cornerbacks. And I do agree. I think if we're talking about press man and who has shown those traits because Illinois ran a similar type of system, 
to Wink Martindale in terms of what their their secondary assets are doing. Yeah, I think Devon Witherspoon translates a little bit better, but I think Christian Gonzalez would figure it out. I really do because he is just like you said, lab built, and he's also his sister is a the Colombian sprinter who's married to David Blau. If anybody watched Hard Knocks, so that's a little fun little nugget. So you're talking about just a really athletic family that they have, and he seems to also just be like such a, a like tried and true good person on and off the field, great student, all of that, which I do think is important to Joe Shane and this Giants front office. Yeah, both to me are. There's blue players in this class. There's not many of them. I don't think this is a very blue heavy class. It's a really good class for the Giants not to be picking in the front half of the draft, in my opinion. One of the better ones you can find. Just this has it like people are saying this is a chance to be like the 2013 draft. And I don't know if that's the worst call. I think it has more depth than that draft. But remember how bad that 2013 yeah, draft was? It could potentially be similar to that in some ways. But there are a couple blue players in this draft. I think these two are blue players. I actually think the next two corners we're going to talk about are blue players as well, even though they're not regarded in that way. Maybe they're fringe blue guys, but I think they're pretty damn close, if not blue guys. When I and Honestly, I'm going to plant my flag and say those are blue guys too. So obviously, with that said, without spoiling anything, they're going to be players we hope to fall the Giants at 25. Players who I'm curious to get your take if you've, and this is where it starts to get interesting. Like Gonzalez and Witherspoon are out of the mix. We know that, but these next two guys, Nick, there's a chance that they could fall into a range where trading up would only be something like two to four picks. And the giants would only lose like a round three pick or future round three, or this year's round three, which we love round threes, me and you. And it sucks for our job. And it's not fun when the giants lose their draft picks. That's why part of the reason I hate trading up is because of what we do for a living. It's just not fun to have less, fewer picks, just simply not fun. Like I would hate covering the Rams right now. It sucks. I'd just be miserable. Imagine we cover the dolphins too. And we got screwed out of a first round pick. That'd be wildly miserable so right now. Tom Brady like you don't even get anything out of you oh you had some calm your owner talked to Tom Brady and like now you lose a first round pick but anyway there are some players that we're about to talk about who I would actually consider trading up for if they fell into this range and the main reason before I spoil and go into it is why I would consider trading up is because we did the exercise Nick we had our mock draft and when we got to 25 dude it wasn't pretty what was left on the board was not pretty our options were either reach at corner and I don't want to say it's a full reach but reach a little at corner or what can be perceived as maybe a reach or like get an interior defensive line, which is like, yeah, the giants can use it. Anyone could use some extra pass rushers. Like I took Kalaja uh, Kansi uh, in that, but which was great, but it's fun. We know Wink Martindale can find some matchups, but do they really need it? And also on the flip side, like you took, I think Forbes in that one. And Forbes is definitely an interesting prospect and has a playmaking ability that some of these guys we're about to talk about don't exactly have. He's also 166 pounds and plays yeah. coverage at, at Mississippi State. So that's why I start to consider maybe it is worth it finally to trade up a few slots if these guys fall. Let's talk about these guys. I know one of them you might not be willing to trade up for, the other you might. So let's talk about the guy that you're higher on because I'm also higher on him too. He's my cornerback three in this class, and that's Deontay Banks out of Maryland. So get into some of the things you like about Banks and if you would be excited about the Giants getting him at 25. I would be ecstatic the Giants could land Deontay Banks at pick 25. Six foot, 197 pounds, which is okay. Sub 32 inch arms and a sub 78 inch wingspan. 22 years old. But what I loved about Banks is he's not as good in coverage as the Devon Witherspoon, but I felt like he was very solid in coverage. 
in man coverage. He can line up. He can punch you in the mouth. He can stick on you on the vertical plane. You want to run a horizontal route off the line of scrimmage? You want to run a slant in breaker? He's right in that hip pocket, and he plays right through the catch point. So I absolutely love the physicality at the catch point. I know he only had, I think, two career interceptions, and that's problematic to a certain degree. I think there were times where if he was beat, because he's sort of anticipatory. He tries to anticipate what the routes will be. That means he's susceptible to double moves. So if he's beat on them, he'll grab. But Joey Porter Jr. grabs. Cam Smith grabs. There's a lot of man-covered guys in this draft class who grab. But I think he's just overall a very fluid type of player who has the eye discipline to play zone coverage as well, read routes in front of him, and then react accordingly. And I think he can also translate to a match type of principal defense. He seems like a high-processing type of cornerback. So I just love his mirroring ability, and I think there's a lot of upside with him, especially at pick 25. And that's why he's my cornerback three, I would say, solidly in this draft class. That is Deontay Banks out of Maryland. Deontay Banks is a player who... I really enjoyed watching. I guess the the one thing you could say is a knock on him would be just the the grading wasn't great for him. He had a 74.3 overall coverage grade, which isn't ideal. 63.5 in man, though a very high 89.2 tackling grade. That's just PFF grades, though. I think when you watch the tape, you can see the things you're talking about, Nick. This guy is a glider. I mean, he's moving around, and he looks so natural and so fluid and so explosive and fast, not only in and out of his breaks, but on the vertical plane, I look at him and I see cornerback one potential. I see someone you could match up on an X or any kind of receiver, potentially if he reaches that ceiling, he's still a little bit more raw, I think. And I think what you said about him, pretty good in a uh, very good in man coverage, like Witherspoon, maybe not that level is true. I also really like how he profiles athletically, man. You talked about the, the size not being completely ideal. I think that's more of a wingspan issue because I'm kind of fine with six foot 197, just given this class and just generally corners. But 4-3-5, 40-yard dash, which shows on film, 2-4-7, 20-yard split, which is insane percentile, 1-4-5, 10-yard split, another insane 9.94 RAS, 9.93 RAS. And we're talking about elite-level quickness, click and close burst. 42-inch vertical is absurd. 11-foot-4-inch broad is even more absurd. He has the explosiveness traits. He has the quickness traits, and he has the speed traits. He can recover on the vertical plane. I think he just brings everything to the position from a projection standpoint. That's the key here. I don't think he's a, you know, a, a fully developed player or anything like that, or like a corner who's going to come in right away and like, Oh my God, he's shutting down AJ Brown. He's shutting down Devonte Smith. Like, I don't really think anyone's going to do that in this class, to be honest, not even Devin Witherspoon. I think that we all got so spoiled by what sauce Gardner did last year. That is, and Patrick Sertan the year before that is not common at all. JC Horn, he's not doing like he had some good games, but he's not doing that. Like, and he was a much better prospect, I think, than, than Banks and some of these other guys. So I don't think that's the case, but I think he profiles as someone who could potentially do that. But man, I look at that athletic profile, Nick, and then what we talked about, just like the smoothness, the speed, the everything he puts on tape, and I just can't see him falling that far to 25. So that brings the next question. You said you'd be ecstatic about him at 25. Would you consider giving up? your round three pick at 89 overall or next year's round three pick to move up a few spots and get him in the draft. It really depends on how the board is shaping up, Dan. I'd like to say no, though. I think I, I, I like the idea of sitting put at 25 and I do appreciate the skill set of some of these other cornerbacks who also have man coverage upside that we will be discussing here in a little bit. I would prefer banks to those players, but I also would prefer to retain that third round pick on a team that just needs to hit on these rookie contracts. They need as many kicks at the can as they can to get. They do need as many kicks at the can they can get. I think for me, Nick, 
after going through what I consider a borderline nightmare scenario in our first round mock draft with what was left for the Giants, like I was okay with my pick. I think it's good, but I don't know, man. If for me, I'm willing to part with that 89th overall pick and or next year, or or I shouldn't say and or I don't want to give two threes, but or next year's three, if the board falls in a certain way. If you know we get to that pick, it's 22 overall, 21 overall, 20 overall. And the Giants are considering trading down to get a player like Banks. If Branch is still on the board, I might not consider trading down, right? If the next corner we're going to talk about is still on the board, I would probably consider not trading down yet. If Nolan Smith is on the board, I might not consider trading down, right? There are some players that Zay Flowers, I might not consider trading down. But if all those guys are off the board, like they were in our mock, that's when I'm like, I think I'm and, and I think Banks in our mock went 22 overall, if I'm not mistaken, to either 21 or 22, the team before the Ravens, whoever was selected. I think it was the Chargers. You took Banks with the Chargers at 21 overall. If it's 21 overall again, and at that point, the guy who we had before was off the board. The guy who we have as a corner four is off the board, right? Every other corner is off the board. Branch was off the board. Nolan Smith was off the board, I think, or he was off the board before the Giants pick. At that point, dude, I think I'm willing to give my three to get one of these blue chipper type guys because I do think he has a profile that screams potential blue to me. Potential blue, which is good, right? And if he was green, he would die, right? But (laughs) Jerome Henderson is a defensive backs coach, obviously, for the Giants. I feel like who can really take a player like this with the traits that he possesses and turn him into a possible pro bowler because he's not the, I would say, most refined with his press technique, with his footwork, but I do believe he plays to his leverage really well. What I mean by that is if you watch the Wisconsin game, for instance, which I'm sure you probably watch because you love Wisconsin, right? He was aligned out on the boundary and to the field side. I feel like he had a PBU to the field side, a couple PBUs to the boundary. What I mean by the boundary, it's a short side of the field. That's where he was aligned to. And there were two vertical releases that the Wisconsin Badgers ran against him and he did such a good job just squeezing the wide receiver off the red line towards the sidelines, getting underneath the Wisconsin wide receiver and being like, Oh, Graham Mertz is his quarterback. I'm going to try to intercept this. Now he didn't intercept it, but still he was in perfect position. I feel like he played that very well. And then there was one play where he was to the field side and he was outside of the divider line. What I mean by outside of the divider line means he's not going to have any safety help over the top. So what you do in that leverage is you're going to play inside leverage and you're going to force him towards if he's if it's a vertical release you're going to force him towards the sidelines and you're going to force that quarterback to put a teardrop throw over the top perfect placement right but i felt like in terms of positioning banks when he was executing inside leverage outside the divider to the field side he was right there in that hip pocket and guess what he was basically walling off that wide receiver he was like you're not going to win inside of me. I'm not going to allow you to win inside of me. He has that type of suddenness and that type of quickness to play inside leverage, not allow the wide receiver to cross his face, but also have the speed, the acceleration and the body control to carry that route vertical. So I just liked how he kind of played inside leverage when he was outside of the divider line. I think it showed a lot of just poise. And as I said a little bit before, just kind of control and balance when he was executing that specific coverage. I like that breakdown, Nick, especially because it shows me that he has confidence in his ability to recover and has a confidence in his ability to play a little bit more aggressive from a technique standpoint um, and and make it work. And I do feel like 
really in, in all these regards, he, he can be a complete corner who can play the vertical plane, who can break on in breakers, who can play press man. If the technique gets better, like you talked about, that's going to be something Jerome Henderson would work on him with. But as far as the profile goes, everything shouts that he can. The one thing I see just from watching the film on him, that is like, you know, some things, things you can project based on the athletic profile or how you see them move in drills. But one thing that I didn't see that I thought was, or that I, that I watched, I didn't think was great. I didn't think he had amazing ball skills in this draft uh, or, or sorry, at, at the point of uh, the catch point. I'll be honest. I don't really feel like, like a lot of these corners to me didn't have great ball skills. Even like some of the guys who you think would like Porter and Witherspoon, like to me, like Forbes had the best ball skills in, in this yeah. class by far. And, but no one was like on that elite level of it. Um, so that was one part of his game that I thought I would give a, a, a not a red flag, but a bit of a knock to. So did you watch the Ohio State game? I did watch Ohio State. Okay, so there's a play against Ohio State where Marvin Harrison Jr. was aligned to the outside. And then right before the snap, there was, I think, a fast two. It might have been a fast three. I don't have the play in front of me. Anyways, and it was a running back who ran a wheel. And that switched the coverage assignments where Banks came off Harrison Jr. and assumed the wheel. And he assumed it in zone technique with his ass towards the sideline in a straddle. And he did such a good job cutting off that angle of the running back's wheel route towards the sideline. But then as he was doing that, he's reading uh Marvin Harrison Jr.'s release and the play was uh CJ Stroud just kind of extemporized and started flowing to the right and I felt like Banks did such a good job reading what Marvin Harrison Jr. was doing because Marvin Harrison Jr. is one of the best wide receivers in college football he broke away from his coverage assignment and was just wide open on the sidelines you just see Banks fly through the catch point and force a PBU I agree Banks one knock, he doesn't have that career production. It's just a reality. Yeah. But I do love the aggressive nature that he does show when he is coming through the catch point, which is something that Witherspoon also has. It's something that Joey Porter also has. Yes. Although I would agree, Forbes, who I think was a wide receiver dating back to his time mm -hmm. in high school, it's just so evident that he has those ball skills because he just climbs a ladder and he just plucks it away from this yeah. frame. Like it's just a true, true uh, type of uh, uh, just dynamic catching ability, which. I mean, the guy had what six uh, pick sixes for a touchdown. It's something that no one has owned. No one has had more than that in college football history. He's tied yeah. for the most. It's insane. It is insane. And yeah, I think he's actually, I actually, if, if we're breaking those into two buckets, which I would, I like him at the catch point from that standpoint. Like I know exactly what you're talking about. He's physical at the catch point. He gets his hand in there. I felt like Porter was good at that too. And Witherspoon. But and I didn't feel like Gonzalez was as good at that as I thought he was going to be. But I just meant like, I, I guess ball skills might not be the right way to term it. Just like the turnover ability, the ability to like make interceptions, however that would be, which again, I think there's somewhat luck too. So I don't know. Like we're going to get to a corner next now in Joey Porter Jr. Who's my cornerback four overall. I don't know if he's your corner four overall because I know you didn't love him as much, but I would I would ask you that before we get into who, um, where are we going? Who didn't have as much production either, but also because of something that I love about his profile. They literally never threw at him last year. They just simply did not throw the ball his way. So Joey Porter Jr., the corner out of Penn State, some things I love about him is, one, I just mentioned it, the sim team simply didn't challenge him because they didn't want to challenge him. Two, he cut down on his penalties from 2021 to 2022, which I thought was really important thing for him to do and it shows to me that he was obviously focused on that kind of thing and that was something because he could get grabby obviously he's an insanely physical quarterback which i love um but that's something that shows that he worked on some part of his game that he knew he needed to improve and he did improve it what i love about porter six foot two and a half 193 34 inch arms man that is insane deontay banks was 31.375 deadman witherspoon was 31.25 christian gonzalez 32 34 inches with 10 
uh, 10 inch hands for Joey Porter, massive mitts. And he's powerful with those hands. His length is just so unique and rare in this class and in general at the corner position. And he is physical as a mother effort when it comes to this press coverage. He's just up on you every single time. And despite that, dude, I thought a four, four, six at one ninety three, six foot two, four and a half was really impressive to me. I didn't really think or know he had that kind of deep speed. Twenty, uh, his twenty yard split and his ten yard splits were really impressive as well, especially his ten yard split, which shows the click and close ability, the quickness, the acceleration in that short area. Vertical jump wasn't amazing. The broad jump was very good with Joey Porter. I just think that that length he brings to position, the physicality and the pop in his hands could make him a really, really good fit for what Wink Martindale wants to do in press coverage. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I wish he was a little bit more smooth with his transitions, but he is my cornerback four because of the length, because of the pressability. And I feel like also he has recoverability. He can flip his hips when he is beat. I think he's going to struggle early on in the NFL. I think he's going to struggle with some flags, with some penalties, because he loves to grab. But so do a lot of these other cornerbacks, as I said a little bit before. I also thought some of his missed tackles, which he only had six this past year, but that was like a 17% rate just because he didn't have that many tackles because no one threw his way other than Purdue. Like Purdue, week one, mm-hmm. threw his way 16 times. And he had five PBUs and some of the catches that he surrendered because Charlie Jones got the best of him on several different plays. Some of the catches he was, he surrendered. You can't really knock him for it. It's like, dude, like you're in perfect coverage. It's just an insane play by Aiden O'Connell and Charlie Jones. But he is my, my corner four. It's it's close. I I thought I was going to like his profile more from what I heard from other people. Mm. I do think there are some warts, but if you're sitting there being like, Nick, who's your cornerback for in this class and who would you be comfortable with the Giants selecting at 25? I think Joey Porter Jr. would be a, a very solid addition to this defense. And I just kind of wish he was had a little bit more more um, WD-40 to his hips. I know I what you mean. And I know what you mean exactly in that, especially like watching that Charlie Jones, like watching the Purdue game. And you could see sometimes he's just beat with releases off the line of scrimmage that you don't expect him to be beat with. Um, so I can totally grab right after and he'll grab if he misses it. Yep. It's really like, can he get, but I think there is, and that's an interesting, like kind of, I guess, point of discussion or debate. Like, can he get so good with his press technique that he, that he eliminates that aspect of his game? Cause he's just getting his hands on these, these receivers so often. And he's so physical with it. I don't know. Like that's maybe a better question for, I guess the coaching staff, like Quink Martindale and Joe Henderson, like they're the ones who would have to see if that could be 
something they can mold him into or something like that. But I agree with you about the looseness in his hips and just kind of some of the differences you see with those three corners we talked about and then Joey Porter. But again, those three corners we talked about don't have 34 inch arms, 10 inch hands, six foot two and a half. None of those guys have that. And none of those guys are have the same kind of physicality, which I love no, exactly. about game. It's that physicality, man. Like he, he's a tone setter. And I think he has upside to be a really good zone cornerback as yes. well with his, his, the, his ability to read what's happening in front of him. He seems like a really high, intelligent, smart player. Like there were a couple plays in cover two where he was high load. And it's just so difficult for quarterbacks to make that decision because he's pretty quick coming downhill. So if you're in cover two, you can play that flat really effectively. And then he'll just run right through you if you're a running back or a wide receiver. But on that seven route, he has that type of length where yes. he just closes throwing windows and he you can want to jump throw that whole shot. It's risky as hell against the corner with his kind of length and his arm length and his overall length. Exactly. So I think there's a lot of upside to a player like this. It's just when you're talking about man coverage, like pure man coverage and, and ability to just flip your hips uh, effortlessly. I don't think it's, overly smooth relative to banks witherspoon and some of these other guys we're about to go over to I think that's fair completely fair and i will say this one more thing about him before i ask you where you'd be comfortable uh the same question i well let me ask you that i'll get to that after would you so you wouldn't want to do that trade up a few picks for banks i assume the same answer for porter right you probably even if yes. the ball but even if board is falling as poorly as it could possibly be for the giants and every target we want is off the board you still think you want that third round pick which i fully understand right i don't have a huge difference between joey porter and some of these other players okay so, okay yeah. so that's that's where i think that's that's where you and i will differ i have these four a drop off after these four after banks and, and Porter for me. Cause then I start to see some, and it's not like there's no warts in Porter's game. So it's not fair to really say that or Banks's game. Like banks still needs to develop into what he can be. I just think there's a little bit more of a ceiling too, with these guys versus these other guys, including the well, factoring in the warts as well. But let me say one more thing about Porter before we move to our next guy, you know, me, what do I love? What does Dan Schneier love about NFL prospects? You love a lot about NFL prospects. I love a lot about size, length. No, no, no. This is is like a stupid. Oh, you're talking about bloodline. I love a good bloodline player, man. And before you laugh this one off, let's go over some recent bloodline guys. Asante Samuel Jr. They all said he was too small, but his film was pretty unbelievable. Falls all the way like 46 of the Chargers is one of the best corners in the NFL. Who was before him? Patrick Sertan. Oh, here comes Patrick Sertan. Immediate hit at the NFL level. Amazing. Winfield. Winfield, another one. I feel like for the most part, these come it range through the bloodline stuff, man. Like these guys end up being great NFL players with the bloodlines, and it's not that big of a surprise. It's not about the genes it's somewhat about the genetics but we can see what the genetics played out to right we have all the athletic testing we have the film we already know what the genetics mean but what it really means to me when you have the bloodline is you had a father who played the played the game and can teach you the game not only can he teach you the game he can also get you into in front of the right people at a young age to learn the game from right like he's giving you the best possible resources either via himself or via the people he knows to teach you the game of football. And I think that's why a lot of these bloodline guys end up hitting over and over and over again. So I'm fine taking another swing on a bloodline guy in Joey Porter Jr. And I think that's that makes sense. And I think it's only applicable to these top-end guys, too, because there's been plenty of right. NFL sons you know, who are just like... Frank Gore Jr. Six, yeah, guys like that. And it's just like, 
whatever. Okay. But like when you're talking about these top end prospects, it doesn't really have too much of a, uh, a miss rate. And I'm sure there's probably someone listening to the podcast being like, what about this guy? What about, yeah, it, it's, not, it's not, misses. there's some misses, of course. Yeah. <laughs> in life, but there's more hits than miss. And we just went over the most recent ones, which were all hits in recent years. So something to think about. All right. Now it gets interesting to me, at least, because I see a drop. I know you don't see when we get into more of this corner five range. So for me, while I would be willing to give a third round pick, which I generally view as gold, despite them not actually panning out as gold for most teams to move up for one of Porter or banks, if they're falling. And if there's no other guys, once I get past these four for me, Nick, that's when it starts to get trickier for me. When I get past these four, not only am I not willing to trade up if any of these guys are falling, I'm not so sure I love it, any of the next corners at 25 overall. And then even if you trade back into the 29-31 range, which I would like in general if the Giants trade back, I'll be more interested in taking these players. But for me, taking them on day one comes mostly down to, is Brian Branch off the board? Is Zay Flowers off the board? Is Jordan Addison off the board? I don't know if I could take any of these guys over Michael Mayer personally, because I think Michael Mayer is a blue chip player in this class. I don't know if I could take these guys over Nolan Smith. That's when I start to get into like Clancy. I don't know if I could take these guys over Elijah Cancy. I don't know if I can take him over Clancy. I keep calling him Clancy before this Cancy. It's it's a Elijah part of that name that gets me tricked up when I get into the next part. But, the, but that's my whole thing. When I get into these corners, I feel like there's so much more warts in their game. I'm starting to reach. But with that said, Nick, Let's get into these corners. Let's talk a little bit about them. And let's talk about if we would want them at 25. So where do you want to start here? I think there's three guys we could potentially choose from, for me at least, in this range. Maybe four, if you consider the one guy who doesn't have long speed, but is a pretty damn good profile other than that. And then there's a fifth who was originally talked about as like a corner one or two or three in this class, who I know you and I may not even have in our top 10, but we we probably don't even have on this list. So where do you want to start with those four names I kind of teased? <laughs> I have my top 10, but okay. I, I'm not as high as what I, what a lot of people were projecting at least early in the draft. And my, I think we should start right now with Emmanuel Forbes, just okay. because he is by far and away the most interesting and unique because he is 166 freaking pounds and everything about that screams. Don't take me in the first mm -hmm. round. This is a big man's game. He is over six foot. He is very long. He had a 149 10-yard split, which I absolutely love. But that weight, can I get around that? And as we said, man, he has all the ball skills you want, former wide receiver. I feel like he is not as good in man coverage as some of these other players, not as good in man coverage as maybe a Cam Smith, but he's good enough. He's sufficient. I would say above sufficient in man coverage. He's just a little bit high-hipped. So I don't want to say he's stiff, but he's stiffer than some of these other guys who are being talked about at the top of this draft. But I love his eyes and zone coverage. I love how he sticks onto receivers on the vertical plane. And I just love how he plays through the catch point and how he is able to come away with these interceptions. In Wink Martindale's system, if we said on several other podcasts, it is vital to have cornerbacks who can create turnovers. Giants didn't do a lot of that in terms of intercepting passes. And when you're bringing six, seven guys on the blitz, players like Emmanuel Forbes have a lot more, a lot more importance. They're much more critical to your defense because this quarterback, his clock is accelerated. And he's just throwing that football up in the air. I think Emmanuel right. Forbes, even though he's not the most physical cornerback, because he is 166 pounds, I think he's more physical than some of these other guys we're going to be talking about. And I think he's going to come away with some key interceptions and he's good enough in zone and man coverage. So yeah, it's not ideal at 25, but I don't think I would be overly pissed off if the Giants went in that direction if they felt like they could make it work and maybe he can add a little bit more weight and he wouldn't be a liability in run support, which honestly, he's a willing tackler, but 
<laughs> Again, he's 166 pounds. Yeah, exactly. So Emmanuel Forbes, for me, I agree with you that he's a lot more physical, both as a tackler and then especially at the catch point, than you would think for an 166-pounder. But 166 pounds and that weight in general, it may look better from that standpoint, from physicality standpoint, at the college level versus the NFL level. That's the part that concerns me. It's always about projection for me. It's like, I look at his build. You talked about the high hips, those insanely long, skinny legs. And I'm just like wondering where he can add weight to. So I don't think he's going to add it to his lower half. And I don't know how it would work adding it to his upper half because it's just such a like short torso area. So he's just a weird build to me as far as like adding weight would go. And I also think it's interesting that he is the best ball skills corner in this draft. And he's at only has 8.5 inch hands. So he has some of the smallest hands of he's the smallest hands of any corner we've gone over so far. And yet it doesn't show up on film. Like that just shows how like those, those metrics and how much concern people put into them can some at times be overrated, I guess. But athletically speaking, four, three, five, 40 yard dash is filthy. And I love what you talked about it. The confidence you have on him on that vertical plane. And I think that's something that would really intrigue someone like Wink Martindale and 20 yard split, 10 yard split. Also elite testing there, 37 and a half inch verticals. Great. So, you know, he has the explosive traits, you know, he's the quickness and the acceleration from the athletic profile standpoint. I worry about him in the run game at the NFL level. It's not that he's not a willing tackler. I just worry about like, matching up against NFL receivers on the perimeter or you know if he needs to help fill in the alley or anything like that can he be someone that you take advantage of can he be someone that you look to target on outside runs because you know he's going to just be nothing for you he's going to be basically like having 10 guys out there in the run game which I'm not saying will be the case because like you said he does have like that's the thing you watch him and you're like okay this guy's willing to tackle but like at 166 pounds does that hold up also if you start to run at him a lot right Nick or you start to like is that going to hold up from an injury standpoint? That's another concern we didn't even talk about. Like, do we have to be worried about this guy potentially getting injured at the NFL level based on his size? So that's what scares me, one, about Forbes. What scares me, two, is I just feel like watching him, and I felt this way with Christian Gonzalez, too, I just think he's a better fit for a different system, like one that's going to use more off coverage where he's just not playing press man as much, and he can kind of like a Philly system, something like that, Gannon in Arizona, I don't know, uh, Miami, now that they have Fangio, like something like that, maybe. I don't know. That's the only two things that that kind of stand out to me as like potential drawbacks to drafting him at 25. And I think you're you're not wrong, right? Uh, I have a couple things in my notes about, and I know this isn't an in-depth podcast, but I think it's important. Which we will do, by the way. Which we will do. But I do have a couple things in my notes, just in man coverage. He had a couple slips on these tight transitions against Old Miss. He did it twice. There was one in the third quarter, 333 left against Arizona on a second and 10 play. I feel like when he was the outside leverage wide receiver and he was tight in the hip pocket of those wide receivers, because I feel like he handles initial stems pretty well. But those pivot routes and those return routes, it's very hard for him to decelerate. He has to take a lot of steps in order to slow his momentum down to explode out of that break just because he is so high hipped. So I agree. There are some issues and I really kind of go back and forth with my, with who I would prefer. And I literally almost convince myself of the other guy almost every day. And it's Cam <laughs> Smith from South Carolina and Emmanuel Forbes. I think the giants would be fine taking them at 25 again, not an ideal situation, but I think they'd be fine making that selection. And I'd think Forbes would bring a lot of value, but 
the 166 pound thing and the high hip thing are, are two things that I feel like are hard to stray away from when you're going through his profile. I still think there is a ton of upside with a player like that who had what a 53% catch rate in the SEC. Not a lot of people were throwing at him. I know he played a lot of off. He played some press bail, but he was also pressing at the line of scrimmage. There were a couple of reps against Ole Miss where he was right up in the face of their outside receiver and he was jamming, assuming the leverage that he needed to, whether that be outside or inside. A lot of the time it was inside. There was one play where he did that. I think it was against Ole Miss. He jammed the guy at the line of scrimmage and the wide receiver was able to just run right up the red line, created separation initially, but the recovery speed and the acceleration and the long strides of Emmanuel Forbes, he got right back into the hip pocket, put his arm up into the catch point, and it was an incomplete pass. I understand those those uh, physical limitations. I don't think you can get around that. That's what my issue is. But I do really think you could have something special if if those limitations don't hinder his upside. You know what, Nick? I think you kind of sold me on taking him at 25 because of the upside aspect of it. I really That's do. what it all comes down to, man. That's what it all I, comes down to. I really to. do because, yeah, I, I mean, at 25 for me, I, I didn't want him for the reasons that I broke down. But now that I think about it from the upside standpoint, like you said, not only is he insanely long and a long strider, but he also then couples that with 4.35 speed, which remember, when you're longer and you're also running that fast, you're therefore covering more ground because you have longer strides. That leads me to believe he'll be great on that vertical plane, which he already is. He's one of the best in the class at that. Combine that with the playmaking upside, like like you said, a, what was a college record, six pick sixes. That's something that just like screams out to me intrigue at 25 because the Giants, like, you, like we talked about, don't really have a playmaker in their secondary. They had one in McKinney, but now they use McKinney around the line of scrimmage a lot. Now they use him in the box a lot, and it's harder for him to make plays when he's in the box versus when he was with uh, the last system where he was you know, playing the deep half more often. So I kind of starting to war- warm up to him. I ask you one thing, though, about you pro- talked about his long limb, tight hips. He didn't do the three cone or the short shuttle. Um, he didn't test that those. Is change of direction something that projects as as something a, a red flag or more of just something that you kind of are uncertain of moving forward to the NFL level? Similar to Joey Porter Jr., I think it's it's like that. I don't think he's going to be the right. smoothest in transition, which is a definitely a mark against his ability to play man coverage on those quick whip and those quick return routes, which I also saw on his film. And that's one thing that I that I do look at twenty five, and I'm like, it is a little bit risky from that sense. But this is also, I feel like, a player who is relatively controlled for a player of his 166-pound frame. I didn't see him getting bitched like I did right. DJ Turner, for instance. We're going to go over DJ Turner. DJ Turner, I saw him get bitched mm-hmm. several times at the catch point, at the break point, I should say, a little bit more. Even against like Rutgers, he got bitched. I'm like two consecutive plays. One was a touchdown, and I'm like, bro, like I don't know if I can entertain you in the first round with, with that kind of lack of physicality. Manuel Forbes is almost 20 pounds lighter than DJ Turner, and I didn't see that all that often. Yes, he's 166 pounds, but I didn't really necessarily see that all that often. So there's just something about that that makes me feel at least comfortable. Again, not ecstatic, not overly thrilled, but being like, I trust this front office and this coaching staff to know what they're doing with this player. Cause I have seen enough with him. I've seen enough about this guy's profile to trust in it. Although I am not head over heels in love with it because of the issues that we have discussed over the last 10 minutes. Okay. That's fair. Let's move on to the other corner. You mentioned now, Cam Smith will also project as a really nice athletic profile. I'll say this about the corner class. This is an insanely athletic corner class. If you look at most years, these top five, if you don't, you don't usually go seven deep and all have like 9.68 raw scores or higher. I mean, these are all got like, usually you'll see like, Oh, this guy was good on film, but he ran a four, five, one. What happened there? 
or like this guy was good on film, but he had a really bad explosive that drills like his vert was 33 inches. What happened there? But these are not the case for these guys. Cam Smith, six foot and a half, 180, not ideal there. Four, four, three. Like that's good stuff right there. But then even better with the 10 yard split and the 20 yard split. We're talking 9.6, like 252, 20 yard split, 149, 10 yard split. These are elite numbers. 38 inch vert, pretty damn close to elite. 11 foot, two inch broad, actually elite. So he had the quickness, the explosiveness, the deep speed, at least testing wise on the 40 yard dash. And I think that shows up on his film as well. So once again, a pretty good athletic profile here with Cam Smith. So I'll ask you with Cam Smith, just like I asked you with Forbes, would you take him at 25? Would you want to trade back or take him at 25? And just give me an over, some overall thoughts on Cam Smith. I would be comfortable enough, similar to Emmanuel Forbes, to select Cam Smith at 25. Don't think it's the most sexy, but I think this is a very explosive, smooth-moving type of player who has a 0-100 to 100 type of acceleration, like shot out of a cannon. That's why he had such a quick 10 yards play. That was transparent on his film, as was his long speed, because there was, I think, a play against Clemson where he was beat on a double move, and you just see him just open his hips, flip him, very smooth, like I said, very fluid, just open up his gate and just fly right to through the wide receiver's catch point to force an incompletion. I think in press technique, it's not always perfect, but he has plays of like elite press technique where he's very disciplined. He's mirroring what the wide receiver is doing. He's not committing his hips all that often. So it's it's in him. I just think it's not something that was, I guess, shown all the time, right? There were times where he did try to anticipate, which is an issue with him. He tries to anticipate and a big issue with him is he's grabby, bro. He had mm -hmm. 10 penalties this past season. He loves to grab a little bit. He also had 10 PBUs though. He also gets through the catch point. I think he's very good in terms of using his eyes to see what's going on in front of him. So from a zone standpoint, but he has all the athletic ability, in my opinion, to play man coverage as well. And he was trusted to do so against Jalen Hyatt against Tennessee. Now he was aligned like 12 yards off the line of scrimmage. Again, not necessarily indictment on Cam Smith, more so just the way that these defenses have to play Tennessee and Josh Heupel's offense. But he held them to 72 yards. He did pretty well. And a lot of those were just kind of these cheap little overs where they hit Jalen Hyatt and then he just closed right to the hip, made the tackle. They like said shot out of a cannon. Ended up giving up a touchdown to Cedric Tillman a little bit later on in that game on a fade route, where he just lost at the catch point to a receiver who was excellent at the catch point. So he's a player that I haven't seen a lot of people discuss for the Giants at 25. The Giants at least brought him in for a top 30 visit. Does that mean that they're definitely interested in him? No, maybe they just wanted a little bit more information on this underclassman who was not at the Senior Bowl or any of these other all-star events. But I think he would fit what Wink Martindale wants to do. He's not the longest He's not the biggest, which I don't love. I wish he was more consistent as a tackler. Like I said, I think on a previous podcast, high tackler. Don't love that. Like hit low. What the hell are you doing? But I think that's also correctable. So if we're talking about these guys who we're not in love with, but we understand and we're trusting the process, I think Cam Smith slides right in there with Emmanuel Forbes. Yeah, Cam Smith was interesting to me. I thought he had really good recovery speed. That was something you brought up. You talked about him being shot out of a cannon and he's closing on routes, which I think was good. But I just thought he had really good recovery speed on the vertical plane. I will say this to something you mentioned, though. Really bad numbers from a tackling and from a run defense standpoint. 52.8 yeah. tackling grade, and you can see it on the film. 54.4 run defense grade. So that could be an issue right away for him at the NFL level, potentially. We don't know. Let's talk about a few more corners here. Some interesting names. One you brought up already, who I really like. One of my favorites in this class, DJ Turner. We can also talk about Julius Brents. And then the big one we haven't mentioned, who like, you know, some expected would be like corner one, two, or three a month ago that like I, I would definitely not want at 25 overall. That's Keely Ringo. 
out of Georgia. So let's get to him last. Let's start with DJ Turner. Let's move to Julius Brent, and then let's get to Keely Ringo. And I don't want to miss Tyreek Stevenson because I think he belongs in this conversation, but neither you or nor I have done a lot of work on him. So I think for the sake of this pod, we're going to skip on Tyreek Stevenson, the corner out of Miami, who might be in the mix for the Giants here or in the mix with these guys. And we'll save him for our cornerback preview pod where we'll go more in depth. You'll get Nick's full scouting report on all the guys, etc. But we'll save him and let's just for this pod do finish with um, Turner, Brent and Ringo. Let's start with Turner. Yeah, I actually just watched Turner on the plane to Cancun, and I watched a little bit of him today to finalize a report for Patricia Trainer over at Giants Country. And I got to say, I love his coverage ability. He is so smooth. I can understand why you are very enthralled with what he offers. What I didn't like, he's 5'11", 178 pounds, which isn't that big of a deal, right? I like Emmanuel Forbes. He's 166. But as I mentioned earlier, man, there were a lot of plays throughout his profile a bunch against Rutgers. There was one against Nebraska. There's a few against Maryland and Michigan state where he's just getting like, just pushed at the, at the break point. Yeah. And he can't handle any kind of subtle pushes. They throw him off. And that's going to happen at the NFL level. The NFL is tailored towards offensive production. You have to be able to fight through contact and he doesn't play through contact. Well, so that's one thing that kind of puts me in a position where I'm like, do I want to take a player like that at 25? Then I'm like, Hey, I'm also entertaining a 166 pound guy. Although I didn't see that too much on his film. Whereas I felt like it was somewhat of an issue for DJ Turner, but I also really like what he can offer in terms of man coverage. And then we want to talk about his own coverage. There were so many plays throughout his film where he was just looking through uh, wide receivers coming down and just blowing up running backs in the flat. I think he's a very smart player. I think he is somebody who obviously studies film. So I think there's a work ethic there with a player like DJ Turner. So I like him 25. It might be a little bit rich for me, but I can understand the appeal because of the coverage abilities. Wish he was, wish he was stronger. I mean, he's a speed bump tackler. He's going to throw himself at you, but you're probably going to run him over. There was a play against yeah. Iowa. It was an off tackle run by the Iowa running back. And he was right in the alley. It was one of the, the only plays I saw where it was like, I'm the run support contained defender. It's my turn to make the tackle. A lot of his tackles are at the catch point or right. it's just like, I'm going to shove you out of bounds. And the Iowa guy just ran him over and he brought him down, but like four yards past where he probably should have. And there's just no pop or no strength on contact. So yeah. those are some of my issues, but I have a similar issues with Cam Smith in terms of physicality and run support. I just right. think I mean, maybe Cam Smith is a little bit more physical up the route stem, whereas DJ Turner, not so much. I think that's fair. I think my biggest concern with Turner is going to be the dig routes and those inbreaker routes over the middle. Like, is he physical enough to hang with these routes? Um, like you said, and I, that the second thing you mentioned was so interesting to me. Cause that was what partly like got me so in on DJ Turner was just that I loved his record play recognition oh, on a dude. lot of those zone plays. And that's because before that, it's like, I already had in mind what I liked about him. And what I liked about him is the coverage skills, which we're going to talk about, which you've already talked about a little bit. We're going to talk about in a second, but that play recognition is really what stood out to me. Like he just looks like somebody who's well wise beyond his years. And could that maybe that could translate, but that's not even his best trait. His best trait by far and away is his coverage ability on the vertical plane. Of all the corners I watched, I thought he was the best on the vertical plane. Uh, against Ohio State, he's just you run and go on, you run a go on him, and he is right freaking there in your hip pocket on a go. And then I see it, and I didn't even know this before I watched him. He ran a four two six. I somehow forgot this. Like I don't. I guess it was big news at the time, but like I didn't even remember seeing like headlines on it or anything. Like so oh, yeah. he just score. Like I guess I just forgot it or something for whatever reason. But the dude ran a four two six forty yard dash, and that's real four two six speed. Like you watch him on the vertical plane, he's there. And then in addition to that, 
a two, three, two 20 yard split is one of the best 20 yard splits ever. And the 10 yard split of 1.42 is not too far behind, which shows that quickness, click and close and acceleration. And like you're talking about before we talked about, Oh, when you start to see him and you watch him, you're like, Oh wow, this dude is smart. Well, behind his ears. Like you said, he studies film, great play recognition. Well, now you combine great play recognition with that quickness and that 20 yards and the 20 and the 10, that burst, that acceleration. That's how you'd get the player who's now blowing up plays in the backfield. Now, like you said, he's going to have to get stronger. And he's going to have to become a better tackler and be a more physical player to make that work and to have that like all add together and combine and become, you know, like the player he can be. But I, like I was saying before with Forbes, for some reason, I look at these two guys just like from their frame standpoint. And I feel like Turner has places to put the weight on more than a player like Forbes, <laughs> if that makes any kind of sense to you. Um, I think it does. Yeah, I yeah. think it does. And so that's one of one thing too, man, and I'm sure you saw this, how DJ Turner plays inside breaking routes when he's slightly off. He's so quick and he takes such a good angle to the catch point, bam. right to the upfield shoulder and bam, he just plays right through it, forces a PBU. And that's one of the reasons why I wrestle with him at 25. Like I think I like other people in the draft. I don't like the lack of physicality. I think it was something that came up multiple games that I saw, multiple plays that I saw. But man, dude, you need you need people who can cover. That's what it's all about yeah. in football. You need people who can play man coverage. And when you have the type of instincts and intelligence that he appears to have while in zone coverage, I think maybe you can overlook the lack of physicality. Ideally, this would be a day two pick for me. Maybe yes. the Giants traded back. And I think I could say that probably about Cam Smith and Emmanuel Forbes. Ideally, of course, if the Giants do trade back, accumulate you know, round three picks, a bunch of more day three picks, possibly a round two pick next year or whatever then those players, I would be ecstatic about landing them on day two. But day one, I'm a little bit up in the air with a player like DJ Turner, but there's a lot to love in terms of coverage. And I feel the same way as you do there. I don't want him, even though I love DJ Turner, I don't want him at 25. I will take a lot of prospects that'll be on the board that I would consider better player available at the time than taking a gamble on Turner or any or any of the corners we mentioned. And that's something that we'll have to live with if they do, because, you know, they they could, A, they watch a lot more film than us, and they know exactly what they want for their coaches. So I'll be fine with any pick the Giants make, basically. Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter to me. But that's like, that when I'm looking at these players, I'm not as thrilled about any of these corners at 25. Like you said, I'd love him if we traded back, picked up extra draft capital, and then got him. Um, just one final thing on Turner from an athletic profile standpoint. It's not just that, you know, some of the things you see like four, two, six, 40 shows up on film when he's running the vertical plane. And like you said, he has that ability to kind of click and close that's shown in the 20 and the 10 also 38 and a half inch vert and 10 foot, 11 inch broad, also elite numbers there. So it's like just a full athletic profile. These guys are all just sick athletes, these corners in this class. Now let's get to another sick athlete, but has one problem with his athleticism. That is the only reason I think that I wouldn't want him at 25. And if he had this one trait too, Nick, I think he would be a top 10 player in this class, maybe top 15 and a guy I'd love for the Giants. And that's Julius Brents out of Kansas State, the corner who, if not for that four, five, three speed, that honestly does look pretty four, five, three esque when you watch him. The recovery speed on the vertical plane is not there. And that's going to be a big problem. You brought it up off pod, but anyone who wants to see what we're talking about, just throw on, you can find it on YouTube, uh, Julius Brents against Quinton Johnston. And you'll see exactly what we mean about we're worried about him in the vertical plane in man coverage. But other than that, man, his movement skills on underneath stuff, just the way he flows and the way he moves and the natural fluidity and his power size length. He has almost everything, literally, in my opinion, to his game, but the vertical speed. And so how much do you value that? And how much does that bring a prospect down? A lot to me, like to the point where I wouldn't 
necessarily want him at 25 overall. Yeah, and there's part of me, man, and I want to get your opinion on this. It's like, are we overthinking this? I know the vertical speed is very important, but there are times when even some of my favorite cornerbacks in this draft class just got beat vertically. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's it's not as simple as that. I do think Julius Brents is just, you could tell he's a tick slower. I think he has some solid recovery just because of his length. Gives mm-hmm. him a little bit of a floor there. But I didn't love his recovery speed in general either, like in terms of his athletic ability to close with, specifically when he is on that vertical plane. But I look at his athletic profile, everything else, it's, it's elite. Everything else about this guy is elite, like 99th percentile, 96th percentile. And then I'm like, ah, oh, man, well, he's probably can't change direction, you know? And it's like, oh, he ended up running a 93rd percentile three cone with an 80th percentile 20-yard test in that, by the way. I That's know. the interesting thing. Like he's elite change of direction, and you could see it on the film. A lot of these guys were talking about Forbes. Guys were questioning change of direction. They didn't even test because they're so nervous about what those numbers could be. And he has just an insane eighty-two and five-eighth inch wingspan. Yeah, like some of the guys that we went over, like Joey Porter is an eighty and seven-eighths. Devon Witherspoon is seventy-three inches. <laughs> like you're talking about almost a like a crazy 10 inch difference between their wingspan and how much ground that that can cover and how you can close throwing windows. And obviously Witherspoon is a much, I feel like better prospect right now because of his athletic ability and coverage ability. Whereas Julius Brents, I feel like if I was a team that ran a lot of like cover three or quarters or something like that, I would be very into Julius Brents, but the man coverage, it does deter me a little bit if I'm going to be honest, but damn dude, there's, there's something about a player with this type of physical and athletic profile that it does kind of draw me to him and i'm just like am i overthinking it but i think at 25 i'm not i feel the exact same way as you by the way nick like there's something that draws me to julius brents with this athletic profile and then what i watch when i see him but as far as answering your question before like are we just overthinking his ability to recover on the vertical plane i would say the answer would be no if we weren't the New York Giants and we didn't have Wink Martindale as defensive coordinator. But because we are the New York Giants, I think the answer is yes. Or are, they, or are we overrating it? <laughs> I think uh, I think we're rating it properly because of what the system that we yes. run. Like if we, like you said, if we played more cover three, off coverage stuff like that, like yeah, this could be okay. Maybe you don't get killed with a guy like this. Like look at what the Seahawks did with Tariq Woolen. Like there were so many question marks about can he play the vertical pass game. And they found a way to make that kind of moot, a moot point for him in year one in that system in Seattle. And I think at times, like, he was burned and just didn't get beat. Like, Darius Slayton beat his ass on that double move. And, like, that should have been a touchdown against Tariq Woolen. But the ball didn't go his way. Jones didn't see it, and he just didn't throw it. And so, like, that could have happened more often on Tariq Woolen's tape. We don't know. But that's kind of also the NFL, right? Like, you don't owe, even when you get beat vertically, the ball doesn't always come that way. These quarterbacks kind of suck at the NFL level. Most of them are pretty shitty. I think across the board, there's like three or four or five really good NFL quarterbacks who are going to see it and throw it out there on the vertical plane every time it's there. So like, maybe it doesn't matter as much. I don't know. And it's a good question to ask, but I think with this system with Wink Martindale, it just scares me a little bit more with a player like that. But there were also plays, like, I don't want to make it like he was just you know, absolutely dominated by Quinton Johnston. Like he had a play on an in route that I remember where he played through the catch point and it ended up, I think it was a third down, ended up turnover or, you know, had the TCU had to punt. He had an interception as well in one of those games. But I, I kind of put that more on Max Duggan, putting just an absolute crappy throw out there for Quinton Johnston, but he was in solid coverage. So 
I don't think he's the smoothest in transitions. Like I, I would say he's a little bit worse than like an Emmanuel Forbes. And we talked about him a little bit before, yep. but that length that he does have and the athletic ability that he does have makes me be like, I still think even though it's not his ideal fit that he would have success in a man coverage system. It's just how much against these smaller, quicker guys would right, you try? Right. Would you trust him? And, but that length of the line of scrimmage, the pressability, or at least the idea of what he can do when he is pressing also similar to Joey Porter Jr. Who's not the smoothest in transition makes me be like, maybe it could work out. It's just 25. Is that a little bit rich? Yes. And I think he's a player that we would like if the giants traded back or more importantly at fit in 57, which I think he could very well potentially be there at 57 overall. It's a player. I'd really like they took there. And I think, you know, he's the player when you play the Eagles, you don't want to put him on Devonte Smith. Right. But you could put him yeah. on maybe AJ Brown. You put a Dory on Devonte Smith and that's kind of where you're at, but you, you're right. Those that that's the part that scares me the most, like matching up against Devonte Smith of the world. I could just see him getting absolutely ripped apart in games like that. And we know that the NFL teams, they build their roster to defeat who's in their division. And I think that makes sense. Now you're not building your roster to defeat Brandon cooks of the Dallas Cowboys. You have no idea how long he's going to be there, but CD lamb, Possibly. And I, I'm not in love with the thought of CeeDee Lamb against a Julius Brents, no. whereas a Dory Jackson, I would much rather entertain. But you yeah. want to put Julius Brents on Michael Gallup. If- or like Emmanuel Forbes, I would probably rather entertain, honestly, against a Devontae Smith or not, not as much as CeeDee Lamb, but Devontae Smith type. So we'll think about that. How about the last player, Keely Ringo, who... You know, a player you and I are not very high on compared to the consensus, I guess, even though now the consensus seems to be falling on him. This dude is super. He's got he's got like lab built frame. He's got the 40 yard dash. He's got the vertical speed and the length. He's the former five star recruit. He's a young prospect out of Georgia. But I think whenever anyone watches him, they see it really quick that he's just not that smooth in and out of his transitions. And I just don't know if he's overall that good at the position yet. So I guess if you draft a player like this, you're banking on pedigree, the five-star recruit, age, length, and and height, and and then just straight line speed. Those are the traits that you're betting on and what you can turn that into. And to me, when I see a traits type like that kind of those kind of traits, I just feel like there's there's a lot of risk taking that type of player at 25 overall. I wish he jumped higher in the vertical because I also saw you know, plays hurt. His vert was 33 and a half inches, Ugh, which isn't great. No, it's not. I love this 40 and he, you could see it on the vertical plane. He can carry vertical routes, but there were times where he was in jump ball situations where he just lost body positioning on the player and then basically ended up getting mossed. <laughs> this is somebody who he has 31 and a fourth inch arms, right? So he, he doesn't have the longest arms. He was five-star recruit. Like you said, as Aguero high school out here in Scottsdale, Arizona ends up going to Georgia was a starting cornerback for the two national championship teams yeah. as a red shirt freshman. Cause he had a, a shoulder issue, I believe that forced him to red shirt. And then last year, it's a red shirt sophomore, only 20 years old. A lot about his profile screams. Hey, the giants might be interested in this guy. Cause he's a young prospect with high pedigree who was on a successful coll- collegiate team. I mean, was a huge part of their defense, but dude, there's just like, when you watch his tape, there was plays against, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Florida, Kentucky, where he just kind of lost one-on-one situations vertically. And it's not because he doesn't have the speed. Like he has the speed, but he's right. just losing situations. He doesn't have the concentration or the understanding on, on how to play the ball when it's in the air, which was weird. And that's not even my my biggest gripe with Keely Ringo, who I would entertain for the Giants in the second round if they didn't go cornerback, mind you. I think there's a lot of traits there that are that are interesting. 
but he might have benefited from staying in school. But you know, strike while the iron's hot. You just won two national championships and you are a five star prospect, and somebody will continue on day two. But it's the transitions in man coverage. Like, I think similar to Brent's, this is somebody who is more of a zone guy who if you put him in man coverage and you have him covering a, a deep horizontal cross, he might struggle a little bit. We even saw it a little bit against like Cedric Tillman on these comeback and curl routes, like his ability to kind of decelerate and explode back against these more physical wide receivers, something that he struggled with a little bit against Cedric Tillman, but yeah, no, not, not a pick 25. I'm not really feeling a player like Ringo. I, again, I think he's best for like a cover three, a cover three match type of team. I think there's upside there, but I don't know. I'd, People were making it out to be, I feel like draft pundits were making him out to be like a top five, top 10 pick at the end of college football season. And after right. you watch it, you're just like, I don't, I don't see that with Ringo, but he's a young player and maybe he can learn to refine a lot of this and speak on Jerome Henderson as we do here, man. Maybe he would find a way to get the most out of a player like this. But I do think it's um, the, the 40 yard dash isn't indicative of his overall athletic profile. Yeah, can that really it only shows him off as a straight line athlete anyway. Like you said, 33 and a half inch vertical. And the biggest issue for me is what you just talked about, the ability in in and out of his transitions, in and out of his breaks. And you know, we talked about before how like the Giants love the one trait when it comes to wide receivers, separation. And I'm with the Giants. I, when I look at wide receivers, my newest thing that I love to look for in receivers is just how how do they get in and out of breaks? Like can they can they throttle down and then and then explode and make it seamless? Like they're they're wasting no space whatsoever. And it's similar for me at corner. If I'm asking for one thing, it's what you just said at the end there. Like, how does he transition on those inbreakers? And like, how does he transition on comebacks and things like that? And that's where I start to worry when you talk about a player like Ringo who's struggling with those types of things. Like to me, that could potentially be make you like just an auto bust at the NFL level if you don't improve on that. And like you don't become a better player with that because no one's gonna want to have you out there if at the NFL level against NFL level receivers. Like Cedric Tillman's a good player, and there's other players you said. I mean, you just talked about some bad clips against like Vanderbilt receivers and, and shit like that. Like Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, like come on, dude, you're never facing anyone from Vanderbilt at wide receiver in the NFL. So that could be like an immediate, like, dude, you can't put this guy on the field. It doesn't matter that he's six foot three with four, whatever speed. Like, he just literally can't be on the field type of bad if he doesn't improve in that regard. Maybe he can improve in that regard, or maybe that's just like the athletic limitations of who he is as a player, and he's more of just a straight line athlete. But either way, it's not a gamble I would be willing to take at 25. And he's just not a player that I hope the Giants draft. Like, he's not really on my board as someone who I like. It's also something, man, like impress. And this maybe speaks to him. Okay. He just wasn't, like, refined with his footwork, opened his hips very early, had an inconsistent jam, like things like that. It's like, well, maybe with better coaching, that can be fixed. development and experience, that could be fixed. But I still think that lack of fluidity with his transitions will always be something that might hinder his upside just a little bit. And that's why we're discussing him more as a, a day two pick a trade down option possibly, but maybe a pick of 57. Although I think somebody's going to bet on the traits and the pedigree before pick 57 for the New York giants. But I feel like just bringing him up is necessary because he is one of the more popular names in the draft, an accomplished player at the, at the college level. And because his profile suggests that the giants would be interested in him based on what they did in last year's draft traits, young yeah. age, things like that. Right. And they're right about that. We have to, we, we can't forget about what Joe Shane did and showed us in the last draft. He wanted to bet on athleticism, a combo of athleticism and young age, like young prospect and athleticism was something that he liked to bet on. 
And we'll see if that happens this year. One thing you mentioned in past podcasts, Nick, that I don't think we can sweep under the rug is that this year he has a much more thorough process when it comes to evaluating the drafts. Yeah. He may have a, to- we may see a totally different approach. We do not, we cannot just say uh, that, you know, what we saw last year will definitely translate, but let's wrap it up there with one final mock uh, wrap it up. I should say with a mock draft that one of you guys submitted. Um, and remember we, We'll always answer and grade any of your mock drafts on the show if you leave us a five-star rating and review and put your mock draft in the rating and review. We're now, which is great. I'm happy this is starting to flow in. We have a bunch of these now starting to flow in. I think we're like seven behind, eight behind. So these will be on the coming episodes. If you don't get yours called today, but you put in a review, there's two things that could be happening. Either one, uh, the review didn't process yet on iTunes and they didn't show it up, or two, we just haven't gotten to it yet. And we'll get to it in one of the next few podcasts. So those things are happening, Nick. But let's wrap up with this draft mock from Mr. Miyagi. I don't think we read this one yet. And it starts with the Giants trading down, which we love, depending on how the board falls, with the Raiders. The Giants trade 25 for 38 and 70. Now at 38 overall, they take Emmanuel Forbes, the corner we just discussed. At 57, their natural second-round pick, they take Cedric Tillman, the wide receiver out of Tennessee, at 70, the new pick they acquired by trading down, they take Joe Tipman, the center out of Wisconsin. Yeah, there are two Badgers in this mock, by the way. So this guy clearly knows who he's appealing to here, me. At 89, Jordan Battle, the safety. At 128, John Gaines, who I like, the interior offense lineman at UCLA. I think he could be potentially a nice fit for the Giants. 160 is Colby Wooden, the defensive tackle. 172, Dorian Williams. I want to start to watch Dorian Williams. People that I've that I've read make me feel like he's the type of athletic linebacker that I typically love and that we at times wanted to target in that range of the draft. So I want to watch Dorian Williams. Then 209 is Keaton Mitchell, the super fast running back prospect. 240, Byron Young. 243, Nick Herbick, the linebacker edge out of Wisconsin. Love this value. And then 254 is a really interesting one to me. I don't think he'll be there. And he's not getting any buzz. But I just started watching him today because someone, uh, a draft analyst I like is super high on him. So I wanted to watch him. And he's freaking much better than I ever thought he was going to be. Dwayne McBride, have you seen any of him? The running back at a UAB. Dude, this dude is freaking legit. Watch him. Like some of the things I like about Zach Charbonnet. I like about McBride. He's not Charbonnet to me. He's not nearly as smooth. He's not nearly as good at uh, uh, making people miss in a phone booth. And I don't think he has the same kind of uh, 10 to 20 yard acceleration. But as far as like force, missed tackles, contact, balance, strength, that point of contact, Dwayne McBride, the running back out of UAB, I think people are super sleeping on him. It just goes to show, man, this running back class, it's just, it's absurd. It really is absurd how much talent is in the running back class. The Giants don't come out of this draft, the running back. It's going to piss me off because I'm fine with Brightwell, dude. I'm fine with Brita, but like, come on. This t- class has so much talent. Get one of these dudes back here in case Barkley gets injured again or to run more pony package with more talent on the field at once. Like, find a way. There's so many options at running back. Rounds four, five, six, seven, three, two. Like, any round, you're going to find talent at running back that's going to probably be the best value on the board. So, anyway, back to this mock draft. I'll grade it first, Nick. These guys love, I love what we're doing here. These mocks, this is an A to me. Like we get the trade down, which I love. We get Forbes at a better spot than 25 at 38. We find a way to get Tittman. We get Tillman. We get John Gaines here. We get Nick Herbig. We get Dwayne McBride. We get Dorian Williams. We get a lot out of this thing. This is an A for me. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with a A minus. I like this draft a lot as well. 
Joe Tittman just basically off a trade down from Emmanuel Forbes. I'm comfortable enough taking at 25 is an absolute grand slam. Jordan Battle. So I've watched a little bit of Alabama's defense, just basically, basically watching Arkansas's offensive line and Ricky Stromberg. I I think it might be a little bit early for him, but I haven't like evaluated his tape extensively. That's one pick where I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. I love John Gaines at 128. It's a high upside pick. I like Colby Wooden at 160. That is the defensive lineman from Auburn. I feel like not a lot of people are discussing him, but at 160, he's like a really perfect day day three pick who can be a pass rusher for you. And I also think Byron Young at 240, that's the Alabama defensive tackle. Again, watch a little bit of their offensive line or defensive front and their defense in general. And uh, I got to say, I, I've liked a little bit of what I've seen for that point of the draft. These Alabama defensive linemen just kind of are technically sound. They might not be the flashiest, but they will earn snaps and they won't disappoint you. Dorian Williams, high upside linebacker. And then the running backs don't know much about McBride, but Keaton Mitchell, man, that's your home run hitter. So yeah. I think this is a good solid A minus Tillman at 57 is a little bit early for my mm -hmm. liking. That's why I'm not at A or A plus, but love the trade down, Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Tillman's the one. Tillman and Battle are the two picks that stood out as the only that I didn't love in this draft, um, but otherwise great stuff. So thank you for submitting, Mr. Miyagi. We got a bunch coming up after. We will get to all of them. Thanks again for everyone tuning in. This is the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.